You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. Okay, this morning, guys, we are going to uh, we're going to look at a scripture together. Going to the message, I'm going to have Jacob read the scripture for us. Um, but before Jacob comes up and reads the scripture for us, I just want to give it some context. Uh, today, I want us to, to catch these ideas, okay? Compassion and conviction. Resistance and reward. These are, these are the ideas. Uh, the idea I really want us to catch is that as followers of Jesus, and we look at his life and his way, he teaches us to speak the truth with compassion and conviction. Despite great resistance for the reward of benefiting others. Okay? So this idea is that we speak the truth for the good of those around us. But we speak the truth from a place of compassion and conviction. And, and from there, I want us, what I want us to see and what I want to kind of bring attention to before uh, Jacob reads to us is that what we're hearing, what he's going to read to us, is Paul talking about his experience of going into the world with the truth of the gospel and it not being well received. Not everybody loving what he is sharing and the experience that he has in doing so. And then we'll, we'll unpack some of that as we go, but that's enough setup. Jacob, you can come up and you can, you can read for us. Can we get a round of applause for our friend Jacob, President? Forgive me if I stop partly, because in Taiwan, usually I read scripture and then wait for translation. And then, so, <laughs> all right, it's uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 to 17. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in, char- in jars of clay to show us the, this all-surpassing power that is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may, may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, We also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us to you, uh, present us with you to himself. All this for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people 
may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary, momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Thanks, Jacob. I want to start by asking you guys a question. How many of you look upon disabled people with contempt? Okay, by the blank stares and the shocked faces, I'm glad to hear you do not. Of course you don't. Of course you do not. And I was reminded as I was looking at the scripture this week of a story about a guy, Telsey and I both know, who four years ago started to lose his vision. He started like completely out of the blue going blind. And he went to the hospital to try and figure out what was going on. The doctors could not figure out what was wrong with him. They began doing tests Uh, They began kind of investigating his history, asking all sorts of questions. And he went home without answers. And over the next few days, his vision continued to get worse, and he was was going blind. Um, And he was was quite troubled. He was quite afraid. It was was a pretty scary experience, as you can imagine, right? He's in his his, uh, mid-40s, and he's beginning to go blind in a very short amount of time. And... um, And he began to wrestle with and get used to and try to get used to this idea of the rest of his life without being able to see. And what happened was a few days after being sent home, after they had done the tests and kind of looked through his history, what they discovered was that the blindness that was setting in upon him was because of two years in an agricultural job in his 20s using a pesticide, that exposure to that pesticide was now beginning to have effects upon him like almost 20 years later. And they were able to figure it out and know what sort of treatment he needed and treat him, and he he sees fine today, praise God. Okay? But what what really hit me was um, I remember that when he was beginning to lose his vision, what do you think we felt for him? It's compassion. Somebody was catching the words at the beginning. Somebody was listening. It's compassion. Deep compassion for him. Okay? And, and what began to happen is he became, you know, a loud advocate for that, that pesticide needs to be not used anymore. Right? And what I want you to catch is that, of course, you don't look upon a person with a disability with contempt. You feel compassion toward them. But at the same time, love will say, do not use that pesticide. Love will say that thing will mess you up. And so there's this, there is this, are you with me? There's this compassion at work towards a person, but a conviction is going to, a conviction in the truth is going to say, hey, that thing's dangerous. You, you don't want to use it. Okay? Now bringing this story back into the scripture that was read, The scripture says right near the beginning, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. 
what, what this is telling us, guys, is that there is actually an evil force in the world that, that Paul calls the God of this age. And the God of this age, as you read his writings, what you're going to see when Paul talks about powers and principalities and evil forces is the way that they actually manifest in the world is in prevalent worldviews and ideologies. There are actually spiritual forces driving these things. And, and it's important for us to catch that. Because our battle is not against flesh and blood, it's against powers and principalities, right? Evil forces. And this God of the age blinds the minds of people. Now, if, if they're blinded, that's a game changer in how we approach things, okay? Maybe before we even go into that, I want to just ask a question. God of this age, right? This force behind worldview and ideologies. What would you think might be the God of this age in which we live in. I would propose to you that the God of this age we could call a political spirit. It's this, it's this thing that causes us to live with an us versus them mentality, mentality, and everything becomes polarized. And we move away from those we disagree with rather than toward each other. And, and it divides, right? And it, through that division, it actually causes the light, if you will, to move away from the darkness. Not good. Not good at all when that begins to rule. And what I would say to you is, like I said near the end of that book, we need less of a culture war mentality and more of a rescue mission mentality. I will acknowledge there is a culture war. There's a culture war that goes on, but that culture war, I want us to see it more in the realm of the spirit, that there are forces of light and darkness at war with one another. We are not at war necessarily with our neighbors. It's called to love our neighbors, move towards our neighbors. Even when we disagree with them, love your enemies. That's Jesus' teaching. That's his way. And what we need in our hearts is less that culture war, more of the rescue mission. Because here's the deal. Under that political mentality, we see those that don't agree with the truth we say to be true as idiots, stupid, dumb, right? Like these are the kind of things that that, that political spirit produces in our hearts, in our minds towards those that disagree. And it causes anger and impatience, but a kingdom mentality, what you will find in scripture again and again is this idea that they're lost, deceived, or blinded. Those are very different, different words to use describing the same thing. Are you with me? When you see someone as blinded, like our friend was going blind, you have compassion toward them. You have patience in the process. And the call for us is to be more like Jesus, who was what? Full of grace and truth. Another way we could say that, Kelly was on track with the words I gave, okay? Think grace, compassion, truth, conviction, okay? We need both. Grace and truth. See, truth without grace is, tends to be mean. But grace without truth is meaningless. 
That's not my quote. I gotta give, I don't even remember who I heard it from. All I know is I heard it from a preacher. Truth without grace is often mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. Okay? I had an experience just this last week on Tuesday where I was at the gym. I was in the change room. And, and somebody who struck me to be likely a trans person came into my change room. Okay? And, um, and, and, and I know everybody goes, why are you talking about this? Don't even go there. But, hey, this is the experience I had on Tuesday. Um, and what hit me at first was a political response internally. Where I wanted to... Where I wanted to get up and go to the front desk and be like, hey, do you know, you know, and, and this, this whole thing. But very quickly, I felt like the Lord grabbed my heart. And I started to feel compassion for this person who was right here with me. I began to feel a love for them and a, and a brokenness in my heart for for whatever journey they're on and wherever they're at in their process and their, you know, what's going on for them. And, and it was a very different thing. I felt in my heart and I realized, man, that political thing will cause us to move away. But the heart of Jesus moves toward those who are blind, those who are lost, those who are deceived and misled. And so what would it look like for us to be a people led by that spirit, that spirit of compassion that doesn't, that doesn't let go of conviction, but is moved by compassion? Because, guys, we, we live in a world right now that is being so misled. And it's important for us to actually have compassion for where people are at. To be able to connect with them where they're at. I heard this great illustration from uh, a guy, Dr. Carl Truman. I don't know if you ever heard him before. But he gave this illustration and he says to his, um, you know, if I go in to my university class today, 2023, and I say to my students, hey, I'm confiscating your cell phones, okay? And I'm like, oh, okay, fine. And when they give them over, he says, but don't worry, I'll give them back to you in two years says the reaction that they're going to have to that is very different than if he had done that in the 80s. Okay? Because in the 80s, we weren't as attached to these things as we are now. We didn't, we wouldn't, you wouldn't feel naked without it. How many of you know the feeling when you get into your car, you go another drive, you're like, where's my phone? Oh, hey, you, you go back. Oh, my gosh. <sighs> right? Like, I, it's just, it's horrible how hooked we are. And his thing was, is saying, like, because we are so connected to them and we become convinced in our day that we need them with us, the experience of somebody saying, I'll give it back to you in two years today versus the same experience 30 years ago, very different, right? And, and the, 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 the thing is this, the impact that it has on you and how you feel toward it is like, I'll put it this way. The feeling a person feels 
about that reality is a real feeling. In other words, whether, whether it's based on truth or based on a lie that I need my phone or don't need my phone, the feeling that I have about lost without it, what am I, where am I in the world, right, is a real feeling. And so as we navigate this time in which we live, the culture in which we live, the feelings that are going to come up for people when, when you present an idea that is contrary to them, that opposes their worldview, okay, it's going to upset. It's going to cause reaction. And, and, and there's, there's something in us that what I'm trying to get at is, will we feel compassion without letting go of conviction on the truth? So what is the truth that we are called to preach? I want us to take a bit of a turn here, and I want to look at what Paul says. He says, what we preach, this is right near the beginning, what was read, is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. The truth that Paul is going out into the world preaching in the text that was read to us, what he's referring to, is going into the world and declaring that Jesus is Lord. That was the message. Sometimes I think that we've actually messed up the, the gospel a bit, okay? And maybe before I even go into that, I want to give some definitions. Gospel is this word that if you've been in church a while, you hear it all the time. But if you haven't, you may be like, I don't even know what that means. And if you've been in church a while, you probably know that the gospel means, somebody tell me, good news, okay? But even that, we miss its cultural relevance. Because you see, there was good news gospel being declared and preached before Jesus ever set foot on the earth. The word gospel was a word that spoke of when, when Caesar, when a king would go into an area and defeat and bring in his new culture into that area and that region, they would announce the gospel that Caesar is Lord. They would announce the good news, like they'd be telling the people in the culture, things are going to get better for you as Caesar's empire comes into the land. And they, were, they wanted to build this affection for Caesar and his kingship and his lordship in the area and for people to embrace his cultural ways, Rome's cultural ways. And so the gospel is this announcement of a new kingdom. It's good news of a new kingdom. And that's where the word Lord becomes very relevant. Lord is not a word we use often in our everyday world. We use it lots in the church, but not a lot out in your day-to-day -day lives. And Lord is essentially the ultimate authority. The ultimate authority, right? And, and here's where I would say this. This is where I think we as the church in our modern day has maybe at times missed the gospel. If you tried to put the gospel into three words for a lot of people, it might be this, Jesus loves you. But I went through a season in my life where I began to flip through the pages of the book of Acts, looking for the time and place where they rolled up into a city and preached, Jesus loves you, and I couldn't find it. What I did find is essentially them rolling into cities and preaching, Jesus is Lord. They, they, they focus on his resurrection. They focus on the fact that he's seated on the throne. They focus on the fact that he will judge the living and the dead someday, right? There is this focus on the lordship, the supremacy of Jesus, his, the ultimate authority in the world. And yes, 
the Lord loves you. Okay? So I'm not saying that Jesus loves you is an irrelevant. It's core to the gospel. It is extremely important. But let's see it here. Let's start doing a comparison. So they were saying back in those days, throughout the earth, Caesar is Lord. But then this new company of people began going through that empire declaring Jesus is Lord. That is why they were persecuted. That is why there was so much turmoil around the message of the church. Now, let's, let's just think a little deeper. Caesar is Lord means this. Ultimate authority ascends to the top and dominates everyone below. Jesus is Lord means ultimate authority goes low and serves the weak. It was totally opposite. So yes, Jesus loves you is key to the gospel, but it's, but it's built on this picture of, no, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. Jesus is Lord then causes you to, have to ask the question, well, what's his culture like? What's the culture of Jesus look like? It looked nothing like Rome's culture. It looked nothing like Caesar's lordship. Jesus' lordship was 100% as far and opposite from Caesar his lord could be. Are you with me? So now, guys, Jesus' is lord is still a controversial counterculture message. Jesus loves you really isn't. I don't need to even explain that. Everybody's like, yeah, I can see that probably. But nowadays, what's the gospel the culture is preaching? Your truth and feelings are Lord. Key, key being your truth and feelings are Lord. Your truth and feelings are the ultimate authority. And yet, the gospel of the kingdom of God still declares Jesus is Lord. And here's the deal, guys. Psalm 97, verse 1. The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Where Jesus is Lord, good things happen. Where Jesus is Lord, people flourish. Where Jesus is Lord, things are made right and as they ought to be. And so the message that Jesus is Lord is still good news. We, we, when you get left out into just your truth, your feelings, rule, whatever, it's just this void, this vacuum, this endless, infinite possibilities. And, and there's, you can see the confusion all around. Jesus is Lord is still a message that saves because it calls you to come and know him and follow him and, and surrender your life to his ways that are better than your ways. That his ways that are better than the culture's ways. That his ways that transcend through ages and generations and time and place for eternity as what is good. Jesus is the ultimate authority on what is good and evil. When we learn from him, Things are as they ought to be. So despite the reality that this is good news, guess what? Many oppose it. We don't want to hear that someone other than me is Lord. 
Would you agree? So here's what Paul's telling these readers as, as they read this letter from him is that as we go into the world and declare this message, this good news that Jesus is Lord, guess what? We meet resistance. Right? There's that, that well-known part, right, where he says this, uh, hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. These are, the, these are the things. And if you read the book of Acts, you'll see it. That's what he was going through as he went out into the world with this message. But then he says this thing that as I go into the world and I suffer these things, he says, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. He says, all this is for your benefit, right? He's motivated, like Jesus, by compassion for others. He believes that it's worth it. I will go out and I will suffer ridicule. I will suffer persecution. I will be struck down but not destroyed for the sake of this good news to go out into all the earth, that many more could come to know the grace of Jesus, right? Listen to that part. He says, all this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. But right before that, he said this. This is the conviction part. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Paul's operating in this compassion and conviction like we spoke about at the beginning. You'll read in the very next chapter, in in chapter 5, you'll read about how he's moved by the fact that every person will stand before the throne of Christ at the end of their lives and be judged. But a few verses later, he also says, love compels us to go out and preach. And so, here's the deal, guys. This is why I'm speaking this. This is why I spoke what I spoke last week. I have this growing burden that the church needs to, we need to embrace the call of God to spread the good news of Jesus into the earth. This this idea of evangelism, going out and heralding and declaring the good news it's become kind of, I feel like, backseat for a lot of the church, and we lose sight of our mission. And when the church loses sight of its mission, we begin to navel gaze and just look about how we can improve ourselves a little better and make this little tweak and this little thing. All the while, the world around us is suffering, is perishing, is confused, is lost, is blinded. And guess how God caused light to shine out of darkness? He spoke. He spoke. Words out of the mouth of God said, let light shine out of darkness and light shone. And Jesus, we can see, guys, see in Jesus his compassion and his conviction move him. A great place to go see that would be um, Luke 19. In Luke 19, Jesus rides into Jerusalem. You know, he's praised as king. And then it tells us that he began to weep as he looked over Jerusalem because he knew that Jerusalem would reject him. And yet, the very next story, he rolls up to the temple and he confronts the oppressive religious system 
that had been developed. In other words, Jesus knew he would be rejected. He knew there would be resistance. And yet for the reward, for the joy set before him, which are those that would come to faith in him, he went forward. He had a conviction about the message he had to carry into the earth, and yet a compassion for the people who needed to hear it, who didn't want to hear it. I want us to consider, you know, what would you endure for someone you love? We just celebrated Mother's Day recently. There might be some answers from the mothers in the house about what you might endure for the one you love. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this to lay down their life for their friends. That is exactly what we saw him do with his life. And guess what else Paul tells us about Jesus? He says that while you, me, were still sinners, Christ died for us. Profound love. Deep love. And... and I know a lot of this, what I'm saying right now, it's probably not super encouraging. You're not like, yay, you know, hearing about it. But I, I, I got to say to you guys, I think that there's something that we need more of in the church. Um, and I know no better way to say it, despite everything I said about rescue mission versus culture war, I would say we need more military mindedness. My, my call as somebody who comes and unpacks the scriptures to us is not just to pat you all on the back and tell you it's going to be okay and you're wonderful. We, we do that too. You are wonderful. It's going to be okay. Don't worry. Okay. Uh, but it's also, guys, go mission. There's a mission. And you can take military-mindedness to rescue mission. Absolutely. Rescuing those who are held hostage in darkness, who the God of this age has blinded. And this is the thing, guys, is that Paul experienced all that he experienced, and Jesus experienced the suffering he experienced because they were taking their gospel, their good news, into the public square. It wasn't just a private religious, personal, spiritual experience that they were promoting. The good news is that God is going to make all things right in the world. New heavens, new earth. And I know we're going to hear more about that in next week, so I'm not going to go deep into that. But here's the deal. Yes, there's resistance, but there's a greater rule. And that's where, that's where the passage that was read to us this morning ends, right? It says, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. What is that eternal glory that far outweighs them all? First and foremost, I want to point out, or maybe, maybe not first and foremost, first I want to point out, foremost is the second thing I'm going to say. The first thing, that eternal reward are the people that get rescued. The people. Just picture 
those images in Revelation of, of multitudes from every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping around the throne of Jesus. And imagine looking to your left or your right and seeing somebody that you shared the gospel with. Somebody who's in that eternal glory alongside you because you shared in some shape or form with them that Jesus is Lord. And he's worth knowing and following. He's worth surrendering your life to every part of your life. The second and foremost reward is fellowship with Jesus. You say what he says, you go where he goes, you do what he does. You're following him, you're walking with him. Paul talked about the fellowship of his suffering. That there is something in the actual pain. You see it in the apostles where they're rejoicing after they're persecuted and going, what a privilege and a joy. <laughs> we, get to, we get to come alongside in the suffering of Jesus. It's crazy. It's this whole other paradigm that, that I feel like in our comfortable Western 21st century moment, we are, we are just so far removed from. Yeah, there's great reward, guys. All right. I'll read it one more time. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So as we think about this, as we think about people who need to be saved and the cost that will come to us as a result, I'm going to quote the famous Jim Elliott quote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And so here's the deal, guys, at Lifetree. I am not interested in coming up here and just preaching mere words. Just talk. And so there's two things I want us to take as action points as we close. One, I want us to pray together. I want us to just corporately. There, there honestly is not much we can do in the world more powerful than the united people of Jesus praying for his spirit to move in our city, in our day, in this world. So we're going to do that. We're going to pray together. And secondly, I want to begin to speak to you somewhat of a challenge that I'm going to continue to iterate over the next few weeks for this summer. You've heard a lot this year about eating together and praying together, right? And there's been some different facilitation of both. There's been some great things happening around tables. And, and what I want us to actually embrace as a church this summer is the challenge to invite your neighbors, your network, whatever that looks like, of people that don't usually come here with you on a Sunday to your table. Actually, instead of, and, and particularly, guys, in this this month of June that has been titled as a whole new celebration for our culture that, uh, that you know, I, I believe a biblical worldview doesn't really agree well with. Uh, that our job and our call as Jesus' people is to not move away from those waving the flag, move toward them. And so that may look specifically like, like moving toward and engaging, inviting people you know you disagree with. 
moving your life that carries the light and the glory of the gospel towards those whom the God of this age has blinded. Are you with me? And so, so the idea that I want us to embrace as we go into this week is, who are people around me? Let's just leave it simple as this, that I know are blinded by the God of this age. And that I can have a coffee with, that I could have a lunch with, that I could, that I could connect with, that I could move toward versus moving away from. Are you with me? You're like, yeah, I understand, okay, but uh, I'm thinking about it. And so first and foremost, guys, one of the ways that we get his heart for people is we pray for them. And I, and I don't want, like I say, just have mere words. And so we are going to pray before we're closed here. So if you uh, would like to agree with me, we're going to pray, God, let light shine out of darkness. Let light shine in the darkness. Open blind eyes to see the truth and the glorious light of the gospel expressed in the person of Jesus. Equip us for the mission with all we need. So if you are saying, yeah, I want to be a part of praying that, you can stay seated, you can stand up. I recommend standing up. I prefer standing up, but you don't have to, okay? I want to, you know, just however. But posture yourself. And guys, one of the things you said at the beginning of the year is we're going to learn to pray together. I know it's awkward to be in this big old room with all these people and try to pray together, okay? And so we're, can we just say we're learning? We're learning how to do it together here right now. Uh, and let's, let's do it. So... I'm going to pray some things with Mike, but what I'd really like is you to begin to put words on your mouth that echo that, you know. So maybe together, let's just say, Lord, let light shine in the darkness. Open blind eyes to see the light of the gospel, to see the glory and the beauty in the face of Jesus. And for mouths across Victoria to confess that Jesus is Lord. Now just go ahead and pray in your own words. We're just going to take a couple minutes here, okay? As we sang this morning, Lord, we say what a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ our King. And we declare as your church in this city, Jesus is Lord. Can we just say that, church? Jesus is Lord. Let's say it again. Jesus is Lord. Again, Jesus is Lord. Now, now real loud, okay? I'll put the mic down. Jesus is Lord. That works. That works. Guys, we're going to keep learning what it looks like to, to pray together, to, to reach into our city. But I'm telling you, it, it can really start profoundly around a table. So consider who you might invite. Thank you for listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. At Life Tree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. 
If you'd like to find out more about Lifetree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.